And it came to pass when Jesus had made an end of commanding his 12 disciples, he departed thence to teach and to preach in their cities. Now when John had heard in the prison the works of Christ, he sent two of his disciples and said unto him, Art thou he that should come? Or do we look for another? Jesus answered and said unto them, Go and show John again those things which ye do hear and see. The blind receive their sight, and the lame walk, the lepers are cleansed, and the deaf hear. The dead are raised up, and the poor have the gospel preached to them. And he, uh, sorry, verse 6, and blessed is he whosoever shall not be offended in me. We're going to speak for a few weeks on this topic, when, what to do when doubt seeps in. What do we do when doubt seeps in? We're going to look at the story here of Jesus and John the Baptist. We're going to look at several different passages, and we're going to try to come up with a plan scripturally what to do when doubt begins to seep in. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for an opportunity to be in church. Thank you for this group of people that came out today. Bless those who are away visiting their fathers. God, we pray that you would bless today in a very special way. Speak to our hearts. I pray this would not be an academic exercise, but a spiritual encounter with you and with your truth. I pray that you would be very real to us now as we listen to your word. Perhaps someone in here today is dealing with deep doubts. So much of society fires their shots at Christians and at the many truths that we believe. And it can have a profound effect on us. And I pray that you would teach us about doubt and about faith. Please help me as I speak. I pray if there's someone here today that's not sure they trusted Jesus as their Savior, then I pray that they would place their faith and trust in you. God, we love you. Thank you for your kindness. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. I copied and pasted a bit from a website of a plumbing service in Durham County, which is just... Uh, Durham region, just outside in, uh, in the Ajax area. And it says this on their website, a slow faucet leak of just 10 drops per minute will waste almost a gallon of water a day and about 30 gallons a month. In Durham, the cost of that level of leak would be about 8 cents. Uh, and it goes on to explain uh, different tiers. And it says spending a few extra cents each month Shouldn't have any sort of noticeable impact on your finances, but bigger leaks can be a lot more expensive. It says a running toilet can waste up to eight gallons of water an hour and about 200 gallons a day. That could add up to about 6,000 gallons a month if it goes unnoticed. And of course, your cost and your water bill, your hydro bill, would go up significantly. 
The immediate cost of a plumbing leak. Now, this is different than just a, a drip or a running toilet or something like that, but especially if it's a leak where you can't necessarily see that it's leaking. This is in a hidden place. It may cost more than just a few cents or dollars on your water bill. Leaks are usually a sign of a bigger problem. They won't go away on their own. And they, it sounds kind of almost silly to say that, right, on a plumbing website. Leaks won't go away on their own. You can't just ignore the leak. You walk into your basement and there's always a nice little wet patch. That's a problem. Goes on to explain, they can cause water damage that costs thousands of dollars to fix. Standing water or moisture that seeps into the floors and walls of a home can create the perfect breeding ground for toxic mold, which can pose health risks if it is inhaled or ingested. Your best bet is to call in a plumber who can fix the source of the leak and fix it. We have a problem sometimes as Christians in ignoring doubts. A doubt is like a leak. And if we do not take the time to fix the source of the doubt, over time, it will have a significant effect on our life of trying to live for God. It can significantly change the direction of your life. It can significantly change those in the, 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 the outcome and the destiny of those in your home, your children, your spouse, extended family. It can significantly change and impact those who may look to you as an example of a Christian in their life if they are an unbeliever or perhaps those that are believers, but they know you from church or from somewhere else. We can't just ignore doubt. Like a leaky pipe in a home left unattended, it only creates more and more and more problems. The longer you leave it alone, the more, the longer you ignore it, the more damage it causes. Occasionally in Christianity, we'll see someone who it seems like all of a sudden they're gone. Kaboom. They were so faithful. They seem to be doing so well as a Christian. Their family seemed to be doing great. And then all of a sudden that wife will leave their family or the husband will leave or the children when they get to be a certain age they'll just up how many times i've heard uh in canada here where the 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 legal age for you to leave home and the um legal system can't make them go back is 16 and they turn 16 years old and boom they just leave home at 16 years old grown up in a christian home perhaps their dad's a pastor or just faithful faithfully go to church every single service and we always look and we say, what happened? What happened? This devastation. We can trace it to doubt that was never dealt with. Doubt in Webster's 1828 dictionary means to waver or fluctuate in opinion. 
Occasionally, you'll be driving down the road in one of the smaller neighborhoods where they have squirrels everywhere. You guys have squirrels in your neighborhoods? Oh, man. You're driving down the road. You're the only car. You're going the appropriate speed limit. And what happens? What does the squirrel do? He starts running across the road. Then he feels the vibration or maybe he sees. Nobody knows what squirrels are thinking, by the way. Squirrels are nuts, eh? And their little tail's going. And then all of a sudden, he stops. And then he starts running back the other way. And you're thinking, okay, great. I don't have to slam on my brakes. Right? And you slow down and you're waiting for the squirrel to make up his mind. And you're thinking, okay, great. He's running back to safety. Hmm? And then what? Inadvertently, what happens? They stop. I mean, better than an NFL uh, a football player that does these little quick drills. They just stop. And then they run back into the road. And they get right in the middle of the road. And then they stop and they run back and they just go back and forth and back and forth and back and forth and back and forth. And you're sitting in the car. You're slowing down, you're slowing down, you're slowing down, and you're just like, just choose a side of the road, would you? That's doubt. Unbelief is more of a decision of not believing. When the Bible speaks about unbelief, an unbeliever. Whereas doubt is like you're in this limbo. You think, ah, it's drawing you this way, the truth of God's word, and ah, but my flesh is going over here, and ah, circumstances say this, and but I know what God says, and then ah, my friend says this, and ah. And you run back and forth, and back and forth, and back and forth. Back. To be in uncertainty. To be in suspense. To be undetermined. To fear. To be apprehensive. The devil tells us it is safer to keep the church and God's word at a distance. This is what Satan tells us. His lies tell us keep it at a distance because if you commit to God's word, and you commit to the church, then that's like you're giving up all of your freedom, all of your liberty. But he tempts us to stay back here in the middle of the road, running back and forth and back and forth and back and forth and back and forth and back and forth. And I was like, well, for a squirrel, which one's more dangerous? Just picking a side? Being committed? Or going back and forth in doubt? We're going to take the time and look at this passage that we've read. I'll make a few opening statements. We operate on the fuel in our life of either faith or doubt. Unbelief is the final decision. Doubt is what wavers back and forth. Everybody deals with doubt. Everybody deals with doubt. We're going to look at that today. Faith comes from hearing God's word. We have to let it in. Faith doesn't come from God's word. Faith comes from hearing God's word. We have to hear it. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. That's what the Bible says in Romans chapter number 10, verse number 17. We have to hear it. It gives us the knowledge to believe. It works in our heart to trust God and to trust his promises. It gives us protection from Satan's lies. 
and from the deceptions of our own hearts. It is the safest way to live. Doubt causes us to shrink, causes us to walk according to the reason of our own hearts only, which reason of our own heart is not infallible. The world wants to talk about reason as if it's this infallible thing. It is not infallible. If you look across history at people who have said, according to reason, we are going to do this. There have been some enormous atrocities committed in in the history of humanity based on what they said was logic and reason. So it's not infallible. The fuel of uh, doubt is sight, circumstances, and feelings. Faith takes what we see, it takes our circumstances, our feelings, and our fears, and it carries this feelings to God and to God's word. We allow God's word to correct and guide what we see, what we experience, what we feel, and the fears of the future and the trusting in God. We come to God and to his word and he breathes faith and belief in him. God will never lead us into a place of having faith in yourself. The world tells us this message, believe in yourself. God will never say that. But God's word says, have faith in God. Have faith in God. It doesn't just say, have faith. That's too ambiguous. Disney tells us, just believe, which is maybe amazing for a children's entertainment. But for life advice, believe what? Believe what? This world is begging that question. Believe what? Believe who? Who should I believe? What should I believe? I should just believe. Let me make this statement. I'll make this several times over the next couple of weeks. Do not reverse a decision by logic that you initially made by faith. Do not reverse a decision by logic and reason which you initially made by faith. Do not reverse a decision. You'll make, you'll listen to preaching. God will work in your heart. You'll see God's word and you'll make a decision. And then later in the week, you'll begin to think about it and think, what was I doing? What was I thinking? That's not going to work out. What are we doing? We're beginning to slide into doubt and it's beginning to change the direction of our decision that we made when we were full of faith. Matthew chapter number 11, it says in verse number two, now when John had heard in the prison Hold on just a second. Now when John heard, which John? John the Baptist John. The John the Baptist John. The one who was the cousin to Jesus Christ. The one who was born six months before Jesus. The one who was the forerunner to Jesus Christ. The one who lived in the wilderness, spent much time with God alone. The last prophet the one who ushered in the Messiah, 
The one who went from Old Testament to New Testament, a lot of debate about that. Jesus says that he, that, that he ushered in the New Testament age. It was a transitional period. And he was that voice crying in the wilderness. He baptized. He saw many people come to Jesus believing in, that the Messiah was coming. It was he that said, behold the Lamb of God, which takes away the sin of the world. Turn with me briefly to John chapter 3. In verse 23, we see this. John 3.23, their ministries, the ministry of John the Baptist and the ministry of Jesus, had some overlap. In John chapter 3 is this the story of Jesus speaking to Nicodemus. Jesus tells him, you must be born again. Verse 23, and John also was baptizing in uh, Anon near to Salem because there was much water there and they came and were baptized. For John was not yet cast into prison. Then there arose a question between some of John's disciples and the Jews about purifying. And they came unto John and said unto him, Rabbi, he that was with thee beyond Jordan, to whom thou bearest witness, behold, the same baptizeth, and all men come to him. John answered and said, A man can receive nothing except to be given him from heaven. You see the confidence he has. They're saying, he's, I mean, they're, they're saying hey, you have competition, John. That, that one that you baptized, speaking of Jesus Christ, he has, he has many followers now. He says he baptized and all men come to him. He's losing his crowd. He's losing all of these people that were first coming and hearing him preach and whom he baptized. And now they're all going to Jesus. And yet, instead of crumbling in his faith, we see this strong statement of faith. He says, man can receive nothing except to be given him from heaven. Ye yourselves bear me witness that I said I am not the Christ, but that I am sent before him. He that hath the bride is the bridegroom, but the friend of the bridegroom, which standeth and heareth him, rejoiceth greatly because of the bridegroom's voice. This my joy, therefore, is fulfilled. Look at the statement of verse number 30. What an amazing statement in regards to the Lord Jesus Christ. John the Baptist said these words. He must increase. But I must decrease. You have to say that statement in faith. You're telling me it's okay for me to fail? It's okay because this is God's plan. Jesus must increase. Think about this. His whole life, he has been working. This was the moment. His ministry was quite short. Here he is, he's preaching and all these crowds come and he's, he gets to introduce the Lord Jesus Christ Behold the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. And everybody sees that. He gets to baptize Jesus Christ. What can we learn? Well, now he's in jail and he's saying, hey, he sends two of his disciples. We'll get into these points in just a moment. Sends two of his disciples to Jesus and says, are you he? Are you really him? Or do we look for another? Do we see the difference between these two things? There is no one-time victory that we can ever have in our life where doubt will then all of a sudden forever be pushed away. There will never be one-time victory. You will never have one answer to prayer 
where if you get that answer to prayer, now forever all of your doubts will be gone. Can we see that from the life of John? You will never know Jesus well enough and have an encounter with Jesus that will be so incredibly awesome that all of a sudden doubts are just no longer a part of your life. Here he is in victory. Here he is even in the process of somewhat, some people are saying, hey, looks like defeat for you. Your disciples are leaving and going off to Jesus. He says, I must decrease. Jesus must increase. What incredible faith. There is no victory you can have in defeat. You say, well, I went through this and I prayed through this and God did this amazing thing. And we can tell stories of how God helped us during times of struggle. And I've seen God answers prayer as in God's given me incredible grace to have God's perspective in a failure. When other people are coming to me and saying, it looks like failure, God can give us that grace and that insight and his perspective to say, no, no, God's still in control. God's still in control. There's a God in heaven. He must increase. If he can get glory out of this, praise God. I am nothing. He's everything. I mean, what faith? We all aspire to have that kind of faith. We all try to grow into looking at life and say, praise God for the victory, and I'm still going to praise God in defeat. But it was never enough to fully insulate him from Do not think that one day you will have some victory where doubt will no longer be an issue. Do not think that someday you'll hear a lesson at church and doubt will no longer be an issue. Do not think that there is any one Christian and you can somehow grow to the place where doubts are no longer an issue. Notice what it says in verse 35 and 36. Also, John the Baptist speaking here. The father loveth the son and hath given all things into his hand. He that believeth on the son hath everlasting life. And he that believeth not the son shall not see life, but the wrath of God abideth on him. This is insight. This is spiritual revelation. John the Baptist was a prophet. He was a prophet. And he had direct revelation from God. Was able to baptize the Lord Jesus Christ. Saw Jesus Christ in the flesh. Imagine the joy. This is one of the amazing things as being a pastor, someone who has the authority from the local church to baptize people, to see somebody get saved, to see somebody, and to see their face. Do that. When their face goes under the water. And the joy. What an incredible pleasure that is. What a blessing to be the guy that gets to baptize people. And, and to be able to teach other people and say, let me show you how to baptize. And for you to feel the cold water when you plunk in. And say, come on. You know, everybody has bambi legs when they get baptized, right? Just, not really sure, kind of slippery, kind of cold, kind of cold, pastor. Kind of cold. We tried. We really did try. <laughs> right? It's like, 
Do like this. Hold your breath. Hold. Close your mouth. Close. Would you close your? Don't do that when you get baptized. Close your mouth. Pinch your nose. You can just and raise to walk in your John the Baptist got to do that with Jesus. He got to see his eyes closed, and he got to see Jesus, the one who created water. Talk about a victory in ministry. Talk about life goals. I mean, one person in all of history got to do that. That can't be repeated. For him to, by revelation of God, for him to see Jesus walking by, and maybe they knew each other because they were cousins, but remember, John was out in the wilderness for many, many years. But he was the one that get to say publicly, Behold, the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. He got to point him out in public in a huge crowd. But he doubted. He baptized Jesus and he doubted. He got to preach to huge crowds and he doubted. Can I say this? And we'll get to this at the end of the message, which may be next week. (laughs) That's fine. We must be very gracious and cautious in judging one another when someone else doubts. Be gentle with each other. Let's be gentle with each other when someone doubts. Oh, well, I knew it all along. You were never. Oh, come on now. If John the Baptist can doubt, who among us? So what should we do? Well, maybe we should just leave Christianity because doubt's involved. There's doubt involved in everything. What we need to do is we need to know what to do when doubt comes. And this is what we're going to take a moment to learn from this passage. And I'll put the points up here. There's four points. Go to Jesus with your doubts. We'll look at the verses here in just a moment, but let me say these out loud. What do we do when doubt seeps in? Go to Jesus with your doubts. Focus on what Jesus actually says. Focus on his word. Revisit and rejoice in what Jesus has done. And reach out to your church family. We're going to see all of these things in this quick little story. It says in verse number two, I'm back into Matthew 11, verse number two. Go to Jesus with your doubts. When John had heard, when John had heard in the prison, (laughs) he's in prison, by the way, for preaching a sermon against a political leader, not political, but not in the sense where he was elected by any stretch, a government leader. Didn't like what he said, threw him in prison. He's at a low point in his life. When John had heard in the prison the works of Christ, he sent two of his disciples and said unto him, the disciples said unto him, because John told them to ask this, Art thou he that should come? Art thou he that should come? Are you the Messiah? But notice the last half of the of this, this sentence. Or do we look for another? John was doubting, but others were doubting too. Do we look for another? 
And Jesus goes and he answers them. But notice what the very first point is. Go to Jesus with your doubts. If you are doubting, go to Jesus with your doubts. I want you to see this in verse number four. Jesus answered and said unto them. Now, okay, now, first of all, we're going to see the response that Jesus has towards those who doubt. How does God treat us when we doubt? Some people would try to color Jesus or God the Father in such a way that he is angry with us if we doubt. That he is upset with us, that he is going to inflict some kind of punishment on us when we doubt. But how does Jesus act towards John the Baptist and his disciples? What does he do? And we need to know this because this is what we can expect from him when we come to him with our doubts. Notice in verse 4, Jesus answered and said unto them, Go and show John, what's the next word? Again. What does again mean? Again means it happened before. You're trying to tell me that John sent his disciples to Jesus before? Or maybe he came himself and spoke to Jesus and said, hey, I'm having doubts here. Can you help me with this? Are you, is this, is this really the, is this really, is this really true? Guys, we are so frail. Human beings, we have this treasure in earth and vessels, the Bible says. The Bible says that God remembers our frame that we are dust. There is no such thing as a human being that can ever be so strong in their faith that they never ever doubt ever again. One day our faith will become sight. We will be in heaven. We will see Jesus Christ, but it will not be in the flesh. It will be in heaven. And while on this earth we are frail and we are, we, we are weak and we can see here the love of Jesus Christ for one who has given so much to serve him, who is in prison because he is preaching Jesus Christ and is standing for the truth. And Jesus says, go tell John again. He's not upset. He's not angry. He's not mad. He's not trying to put him in some kind of a disciplinary uh, position. He's not trying to trying to do any kind of hurtful thing. He's not giving out strong rebuke. Notice the love and the concern and the compassion of Jesus Christ. We have a puppy. And our backyard has a fence, but there are some holes in the fence. And we've tried to fill them, but... Dogs are really good, especially small dogs. Really good at finding just enough of a hole. They squirt right out, and they go on a joy ride, joy run. The little Oliver, man, he just, he's got his mouth open, looks like he's laughing, having the greatest time, his ears flopping. <laughs> I'm free! Right? And here we are, the whole family running after him, jumping fences, trying to... So what we do... <laughs> What we do is we've got this little line, this little leash with a rope on it, right? Well, here's the problem. There are so many things that he's such a small little puppy dog that when we put the little leash on him, he's out there for all of three minutes and all of a sudden he starts yapping his little head right off. Hey, hey, yep, 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 bark, bark, bark. We poke our head out and what happens? He's got that leash wrapped around something tiny, some tiny little thing and it's hooked on there. 
And he's stuck. He doesn't know. We've got a, a picnic table in the back with some chairs, and he, you know, he'll just go in and out, and he doesn't realize he's wrapping himself up. And all of a sudden now the leash is right next to this, right next to this chair pole, just like this, and he's yapping away, yap, 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 yap. And we come out, Oliver, you know. But he's a dog. He's a dog. Well, we could just say, oh, you know what, just run free. Well, he'll end up getting out. And we try to construct the backyard so it doesn't happen. But the fact of the matter is, it just gets, it happens. And he yaps away. If we, with our pets, are compassionate and pick them up and give them a kiss and put them back and unwrap them, and how much more is our Heavenly Father when we come to him and yap, 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 yeah, I'm doubting again, man, I'm, this been rough. If we, out of our own hearts, look at our pets with compassion and love and roll our eyes. And listen, don't think for a minute that God doesn't, doesn't try to construct our life. If I can construct in my backyard in such a way and do the best job that I can to make sure that he doesn't get wrapped up, don't think that God, that, that God wants us to doubt. He can construct our lives in such a way, but the fact of the matter is, is that we're weak. And it's just a reality. Don't think that because you doubt that God doesn't love you. Don't think that because you doubt that God doesn't exist. Don't think that because we doubt that he's not there. No, he's there. We have to establish the habit to go to Jesus. We have to go to him. We have to go to Jesus with our doubts. Go to him with our doubts. John chapter 20. This is doubting Thomas. Go to him with our doubts. John 20. Look at with me at verse 24. Jesus had already shown himself to his disciples. They'd seen him, his resurrection, his, his resurrected body. He'd appeared to them. Thomas wasn't there. By the way, this is the way Jesus treats church members or Christians who fall out of church or they don't come for a bit. They had doubts and they don't come. But what happens when they show up? This is the way Jesus treats them. By the way, this is the way we should treat them. Right? What happens? Verse 24. But Thomas, one of the twelve, called Didymus, which was not with them when Jesus came, the other Tom, the other, uh, sorry, the other disciples therefore said unto him, We have seen the Lord. But he said unto them, Except I shall see in his hands the print of the nails, and put my finger into the print of the, of the nails and thrust my hand into his side, I will not believe. Now that's, that's pretty specific. That's pretty specific. And after eight days again, his disciples were within and Thomas with them. Then came Jesus, the doors being shut and stood in the midst and said, peace be unto you. Notice, notice who he goes right up. By the way, Jesus walking through a door, I think that would do it for me. Like, oh! 
I was so wrong. Oh, my goodness. There you are. But he wants him to know I'm not a ghost. I'm not a spirit. Right? He wants Notice Jesus' heart. He wants Thomas to believe. You know he wants you to believe? He wants you to believe. He wants to replace your doubt with faith. Go to him with your doubts. Thomas was just there in the room, and here he comes. Jesus is like, I'm coming for you eight days, buddy. You better get ready. He knew what Thomas had said, even though Jesus wasn't in the room when Thomas had said that, which is awesome. Peace be unto you. Then saith he to Thomas, goes right up to him and repeats his words right back to him. <laughs> I would have loved to have been one of the other disciples and be like, <laughs> he got you. Jesus got you big time. Ah, we tried to tell you. Sometimes, guys, it is not enough for another Christian to tell you. You've got to hear it from them for yourself. And that's okay. That's the way it's really supposed to be. And we should have a testimony. We saw him. He answered my prayer. I'm telling you it's real. I'm telling you he's amazing. I'm telling you he loves. I'm telling you his word can be trusted. I'm telling you you can do this. And we hear believers say it. And it's like, eh. And then Thomas comes back with this. Well, I'll tell you what. I'm not going to believe unless da-da-da-da-da. And he gives out a big list. And here comes Jesus. Jesus says, I heard you got a list. All right. Come on. Come on. Let me just throw this out there. Some people say, well, I've got some doubts because of science. You realize that science that doesn't believe in God is only one half of science? There's a whole other side of science, of Christian scientists, that can show you. We realize that. But even that alone is not enough. We have to go to Jesus with our doubts. We serve a risen Savior. We're not making this up. What do I do with my doubts? I go to him with my doubts. And he himself speaks to my heart and tells me, this is what you need so that you can have faith. Then saith he to Thomas, reach hither thy finger and behold my hands and reach hither thy hand and thrust it into my side. Can you imagine? What does he say? Be not faithless. Be not faithless, but believing. Thomas answered and said unto him, My Lord and my God. Jesus saith unto him, Thomas, because thou hast seen me, thou hast believed. Blessed are they that have not seen and yet have believed. That's us. That's us. Matthew eleven twenty eight and 29 say, Come unto me. We know these verses. Come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Doubt is heavy to carry around. It's torture. Indecision. Faith. That's where peace is found. Faith. That's where rest is found. Jesus says in verse 29, Take my yoke upon you and learn of me, for I am meek and lowly in heart. And you shall find rest unto your souls. Verse 30, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. One more passage and we'll be done for today. 
Let's go to the Old Testament briefly. Jeremiah 18. This is the passage about the potter's house. Jeremiah 18. Looking once again, how does Jesus, how does God deal with doubt? Doubt is imperfection. Doubt is a weakness. Does he get angry and crush us? Does he get angry and want to somehow uh, put us in the doghouse, so to speak, make our lives miserable? When John the Baptist had doubts, he sent to him again. This is the evidence. We'll get into that next week. Don't worry, we're not going through all these. We're almost done. With Thomas, you have doubts, Thomas? Here I come. I'm helping you with your doubts. Jeremiah 18 says in verse 1, The word which came to Jeremiah from the Lord, saying, Arise and go down to the potter's house, and there I will cause thee to hear my words. And I went down to the potter's house, and behold, he wrought a work on the wheels. Little wheel spinning around, right? He's working. He's wrought, right? That's a word. He's working, working with the clay. Maybe you guys have done pottery before. Messy, <laughs> right? Messy. And here he is. He's shaping it. He's shaping it with his hands as the wheel spins, spins around. He puts his thumb in. He begins to pinch and pull and shape it into something useful. But look at verse number four. And the vessel that he made of clay was marred in the hand of the potter. Maybe there was something in the clay that shouldn't have been there. Maybe there was some kind of a gravel or maybe somehow the clay didn't respond well to the pressure and it began to tear. It was marred. It was broken. It was, it was weak. But notice what it says in verse 4. So he made it, there's our word again, again. So he made it again another vessel, as seemed good to the potter to make it. Then the word of the Lord came to me, saying, O house of Israel, cannot I do with you as this potter, saith the Lord? Behold, as the clay is in the potter's hand, so are ye in mine hand, O house of Israel. Do you have doubt? Would you come and bring your doubt to him? When we pray here in just a moment, I encourage you to not think, just think about what's been said, but to literally in prayer, reach out to Jesus Christ and say, I have doubts about this and watch him specifically address your doubts. He more than anyone wants to bring you from a place of doubt to a place of faith. Be not faithless but believing. There's a story that is told. Robert Louis Stevenson was a writer who wrote many stories about ships. He wrote the famous story, Treasure Island. And a story, he tells a story of a ship that was in a, a terrible, terrible storm. And all of the passengers on this boat, on this ship, were commanded to stay below deck where it was safer. They didn't want them to be on top where the waves and the winds could hit them and perhaps wash them off, and they would be lost. But they were so terrified below. It was dark, and water was coming down through the cracks and being tossed around. 
They were huddled together. They didn't know if they were going to make it. They didn't know if the ship was going to be torn to pieces through the fierceness of the storm. So one boy, contrary to instructions, which boys generally will do <laughs> from time to time, snuck out on deck, crept up the steps, and poked his head out of the hatch and saw the captain who was piloting the ship, standing behind the wheel. The captain was lashed to it so he wouldn't be washed overboard. And he saw, the captain saw, the hatch pop open and the little boy's head poke out. When, that little, when the captain saw the little boy's face, little boy slowly closed the hatch and went back down. Where did you go? What were you doing? I went upstairs. I wanted to see. You see the captain? I saw the captain. He was lashed to the wheel. He said, but when I saw the captain, he smiled at me. I know everything's going to be okay. Guys, I'm telling you, when you have doubts, you need to spend some time with the captain because his smile will breathe faith back into your heart. Everybody bow your heads, please, and close your eyes. Go to Jesus with your doubts. He's not angry because you have doubts. He's not angry because you have doubts. He's very compassionate. A million times more compassionate than a dog owner can be of their dog being wrapped around the tree with their leash. Don't try to deal with your doubts by yourself. You have a shepherd. He says, come unto me, all ye that labor and heavy laden. I will give you rest. You can't give yourself rest. Come to him. Come to his word. Reach out for help and ask. John the Baptist told his disciples he couldn't do it. He was immobilized. He was in prison. He's like, guys, I need some help. Go ask, go ask Jesus if he's really the one. And this is one reason why we should be faithful attendees of church and be a church member. Because you have a community of believers that will come around you and breathe faith into you when you doubt. To pray for you and to love you. I'm asking you right now if there's something that you're doubting. Maybe you're doubting in the direction of your life. Maybe you're doubting some particular truth. Maybe you have doubts that if you died that you would go to heaven. Maybe you don't know that. I would encourage you to go to Jesus with your doubts. Be willing for someone to open a Bible and show you from God's word how you can know for sure you're going to heaven. But this is not a religion where we're just learning a bunch of rules on how to be a good person. This is a relationship. You can ask him, and he will tell you exactly what you need to hear to chase away those doubts. Don't live in indecision. And don't think for a moment that God is angry with you because you doubt. Don't be faithless, but believing.
How's your relationship with the Lord? Have you been trying to carry your doubts yourself? Have you been spending time in prayer? Have you been reading your Bible slowly so that God can speak to you through his word and help you with those doubts? I'm going to ask everyone to stand, if you would, please. As I pray, this is a time for you to pray and ask Jesus to speak to you about your doubts.